Happy New Year, listeners! It's me, your host, Daisha. So we are super excited about the episodes that we have for you coming up in 2016. A quick overview. John Luther Adams, The Force Awakens, Jarek Bischoff, Elisa Weilerstein, Miley Cyrus. Okay, maybe not Miley Cyrus, but it could happen, right? Anyway, we thought that we would start this year off at full tilt with this episode featuring Rufus Wainwright. Rufus Wainwright, you may be saying, but he's a pop singer. Well, it turns out that he also wrote an opera, and that's what we talk about in this episode. I hope you enjoy our chat. And hey, if you do enjoy it and you haven't done it yet, go to iTunes, subscribe to our show, and rate and review us. That would be awesome. Also, if there's something that you would like to learn about this year on the Classical Classroom, send me an email at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org, and maybe we'll turn your idea into an episode. Anyway, that's enough of this. Enjoy the show. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is Rufus Wainwright. He's known to many of you as a singer and songwriter of pop music. He's collaborated with everyone from Elton John to Joni Mitchell and Robbie Williams. But in addition to that, he's also done a lot of work in the classical music world. He's written the opera Prima Donna, which we'll talk about today. And he's been commissioned by the Canadian Opera Company to write a second opera. Uh, He also composed the Sweet Five Shakespeare Sonnets. And Prima Donna has just been released on CD. Rufus Wainwright, welcome to the Classical Classroom. Good to be here. So you have written in a lot of musical genres. I know you mostly for your pop music, um, but you decided to write an opera. What made you want to do that? Yeah, well, opera has always been a fixture in my musical world. Um, no, actually, not always. It started when I was about 13, but um, at that age, I, I, I became rabid <laughs> for the form and really used it uh, both in terms of my own personal life uh, as, as, a, as a soothing factor, but also in my artistic life as a way of kind of trying to create a new sound with my songwriting that other people of my generation didn't really know the secret ingredient to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so opera permitted me to to explore, you know, just this th- these other directions in, in line that uh, that are so um, precious, you know, and so unusual. Well, and as a composer, what what do you get out of composing opera as opposed yeah. to say writing just a piece for the piano? Well, what I love about composing opera is that essentially. I mean, whether you're a megalomaniac or extremely humble or black, white, male, female, you have to do what you ha- what has to be done. <laughs> it kind of it's such a massive form that you just wipe the slate clean and 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 really just 
get down to business in terms of producing the piece and mm-hmm. and and mounting the production. So it's it's just it, it has that kind of purifying labor intensity. <laughs> I see that uh, that uh, that that I enjoy so much. Whereas with pop music, it it really is more about your personality. I mean, it's I I love that facet of it as well. You you really can concentrate on. On, on your life, your personal life, so much more, and you can make it about you know your your experience as a citizen, you know. But with opera, it really has to be about the opera. I see, and so it's it's a more sort of objective form to write in. Well, it's just it's just I think if you're going to put in, in my opinion, if you're going to put in, you know, the amount of the same amount of passion for you know the third oboe as you are for you know a chorus of. 50 people, which is essentially what you have to do. You have to have, mm-hmm. have the same care and the same kind of dedication for those opposite facets, the big and the small. You just, I don't know, you just, it has to be about the music in the end. And why why do you have to have the same passion for those things? Like, what is it about opera that engenders that need? I think it's within opera. I think it's also within within a lot of classical music. I mean, I mean I've always had this fantasy of listening to certain symphonies or even operas where you know you only listen to certain sections <laughs> of 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 the orchestra and even if there's you know long swaths of 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 silence then all of a sudden you hear these you know interior harmonies which kind of pop out and these other instruments and they're all they always have to be pretty beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> even with composers like Bellini and and Donizetti things that one might think are 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 quite rudimentary they're actually they have to be very musical if they're good so i just like that that kind of the, the the layered aspect of opera is is, is what what attracts me because you have to, everything has to be up to par. I see. Okay, so everything kind of has to reach this certain bar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You can't throw away a lot of parts in, in, in that music. Well, okay. Let's get to your opera. It's an opera in two acts, and yes. who are the major characters? Uh, well, there's four characters. There's uh, Regine Saint Laurent, the prima donna, who's deciding whether or not to continue her career as an opera singer. There's Marie, her maid, who is uh, not, you know, familiar really with that universe, but very quickly gets pulled in and, 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 and wants to, you know, support and protect her, 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 her mistress. And then there's uh, André Le Tourneur, who's uh, a journalist, a young, um, very ambitious and uh, sort of failed singer himself, who wants to come in and you know ruffle the feathers and get the story. And then finally, there's the sort of sinister, but I wouldn't say evil character, but he's the—he's definitely the foil, and he's um, Philippe, the the butler, who's uh, a, a kind of a Svengali character in the end. Je suis avant de me présenter 
devant Madame Salon. Basically, the whole opera takes place on, in one day, um, and, and it's Bastille Day, actually, and, and certainly with all that's happened in Paris lately, it's, it's very touching at the moment to listen to it, because there is a lot of reference to that, to the French national anthem, for instance, at, at the end. Anyways, but it takes place in that, on that day in Paris, and she, she's deciding whether or not to continue her career. Her butler wants her to do it because he's, you know, that's when he lived his finest moments. The maid is unsure because she can tell that that, that Regine, the, the opera singer, is actually kind of cracking up mm -hmm. um, over this decision and just needs to, you know, rest and be a person. And then the journalist comes in and, you know, ruffles the feathers and... and uh, And then within this, there's an opera within an opera. There's a recording that she made years ago of Eleanor of Aquitaine, which is an opera written for her. And uh, she finally listens to the recording and decides through the listening of it whether she continues her career or not. And I'm not going to give away the ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. So why did you decide to take this, this angle and sort of do a meta opera? What about this story? Yes, You know, well, I think I think what it was is that is that it was it was the perfect way for me to write an opera and lean heavily on my obscene passion for romantic opera, which is very hard to do in the opera world now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, now it's it's almost unthinkable for composers to write in 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 the style that I've written in in the romantic style. Which is mm -hmm. ironic because it's still those romantic operas that are that fill the opera houses of today, even. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's it's an, I, I certainly bring up a very interesting question: <laughs> Why is it that you can't write an opera that sounds like an opera? <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a very interesting reaction. Some people are completely on my side, and other completely other people are completely horrified. And that's certainly a big a big discussion that that we can't do in five minutes. But you right. know what I mean. Well, give me uh, an example of of what somebody has against because because yes, you're right. Like any time I've discussed opera on the show, unless yeah. we're talking about you know Bellini or Donizetti or somebody like that, yeah. you know, we're talking about a very uh, contemporary take yeah. on opera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean I have had the question. I have had people say uh, he's not allowed to write music like this because this music doesn't exist anymore. It was destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, if he's not, you know, within the kind of canon of of what's going on, whether it's from you know, I guess starting with I don't know Stravinsky up to you know uh, going to you know Steve Reich or whatever. You mm -hmm. know, you can't he can't get, go out of that fray. And, and that that statement in itself. Is, is a green light for me to do to do what I'm doing <laughs> because uh, any, the minute someone says you can't that's when you really have to do it you know <laughs> basically so you're being accused of not writing for your period uh, yeah for not writing for my period which I think is ironic because look at Broadway musicals look at look at the art world I mean mm -hmm. the art would look at Jeff Koons I mean I mean people uh, there's already within Within or the fashion, for that matter. I mean, it, it's constantly way, going back and forth right. towards um, different periods and reinterpreting them and and shedding new light and you know borrowing and and, and, and then giving back and and it's and it's and it's somehow in the classical music world specifically and only that there is this rigid order that must be followed, which um, has to be broken because everything else is breaking. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, in, in popular music, 
And I'm kind of surprised that people are surprised that you would do this because when when I've listened to your popular music, a lot of it is about looking looking at older forms yes. of of how music was written. It's very romantic. It's very um, passionate. You're playing yes. a piano often, yes. um, which you know that's that's kind of when I think of older singer songwriters, that's yeah. what I think of. Yeah. And so I'm surprised that somebody would be surprised that you would do this with opera. Yellow walls are lined with portraits And I got my new red fetching leather jacket All these poses So when you were composing, you know, you spent a lot of time being a singer and songwriter And that's a very different creative act than sitting down and, and writing an opera Talk just a little about how that process was different well, a big deal during the writing of this opera, and, and I have talked about this in the past, is that my mother at the outset was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer mm. called sarcoma, which sadly eventually killed her. And, so um, and so I was battling with a lot of those big emotions and didn't quite want to face them right away and didn't know how to handle it necessarily. So when the opportunity to write the opera came around, it was actually the perfect outlet for me because it was so intensive and so kind of all-encompassing mm-hmm. that I couldn't think about I didn't have to think about what was going on in my life mm-hmm. and so you know a lot often people will ask uh, well is it hard to write an opera and I said yeah it's really really hard to write an opera but it's not as hard as having cancer <laughs> so yeah. so that's sort of how I how I did it well, I'm so sorry to hear about your yeah. mom but yeah, I'm no. glad that you had this creative yes. outlet to go to yes. and that that was there for you. Yes. I don't. I used to think it was Beethoven who said it, but it isn't, actually. I think it might be Shelley. It's <laughs> one of those romantic people. <laughs> but they said, you know, what comes from the heart goes to the heart. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I think with Prima Donna, that's, that, that was my... That was number one on the agenda, was that it would be sincere and to be what I really want to do and what I'm really feeling. And screw, you know, you <laughs> if it doesn't fit into your order of things. Because I would bet that there are a lot of opera composers who secretly would love to just write romantic music. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Just, just to kind of go go straight to it and, yeah, and not but, futz around you know, with yeah. You know, yeah, contemporary stuff. But did you, in the opera, I mean... Did you just do that? Did you just tell a story and write an opera? Or did you take any opportunities to kind of make jabs at this thing that you are doing? I mean, I think, I think, I think in the breaking. end it, it can look like I've done that. But mm-hmm. to, to be totally honest, you know, I spent so much of my time focusing on my career as a singer, songwriter, touring, you know, making albums, that when it came time to write an opera, I was, I just, I had to totally focus on the work and and I didn't have time to really you know come up with any strategic philosophy that I of what I was going through so so I just went ahead and did it and um, and I think that's very that makes the music a lot stronger because it, it isn't um, ironic or anything it was just exactly what I had to feel at that moment awesome thanks so much for taking time with us today Rufus it was great to talk to you thank you All right, everybody, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom for extra funsies. Follow us on... (laughs) I was going to say for extra funsies, but I can't even say that word seriously. Anyway, follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. We have some extras on there that you won't see anywhere else. Also, if you listen to us on iTunes... 
Go ahead and subscribe to us and rate and review us on iTunes. That would be swell. You can always email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Thanks today to audio producer Todd Viva La France, Holsander, for making us sound nice. Thanks to program director Sinjin Flynn for almost having it all. Thanks to editor Mark DeClaudio for his piercing Cylon Centurion eyes. Thanks to Rufus Wainwright for being here today. Thanks to Max. Thanks to me for saying words. And thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. 